0: Join me for the Litany of Invitation and Confession, printed in your Order of Worship. We gather for worship in the light of God's grace. Lord, let the light of your grace shine upon us. We gather for worship in the light of God's love. Lord, let the light of your love shine within us. We gather for worship in the light of God's justice. Lord, let the light of your justice illumine our choices. Jesus called his followers the light of the world. We confess that often we are dim reflections of Christ's love and grace and light. Sisters and brothers, we are forgiven. God's light of grace shines upon us this very moment. Let us walk in the light of God's generosity. Let us lift our voices in gratitude and in praise to God.
1: Welcome to the worship of God on this drizzly, rainy Sunday, but in this place of light and love. Whatever you've brought as a need today, know that this is a grace place and that God's grace will meet you here. Nothing will brighten a day like hearing from our children in a moment as they call us to worship and sing a song about God's presence in our lives and how God speaks to us as we pray to God. But as we come on this day, it is a Transfiguration Sunday, the day that we read the scriptures about the transfiguration of Christ and prepare for the beginning of Lent. On the front of your order of worship is uh, Elijah's fiery chariot. We will hear that scripture read right after the children sing, and it comes from our windows. In fact, it is that image right there you'll see of Elijah's fiery chariot coming for to carry him home. Well, we're at home. We've come for worship. So let us tune our ears as well as our hearts to hear from the scriptures as well as to hear from the children in a beautiful song. Welcome.
0: The Passing of the Prophetic Mantle from Elijah to Elisha A reading from the book of 2 Kings Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, A chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended into a whirlwind in heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and went back and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. When the company of prophets who were at Jericho saw saw him at a distance, they declared, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Here ends the first lesson. Please pray with me. Loving Lord, we thank you for the example that you've given us in the prophets of Scripture. And we thank you for the wonderful example of your life, which was lived in spirit and truth. A life that demonstrated love as well as justice a life that cared for all humanity, especially those who are weak or hurting or marginalized. May we strive to follow your example in our daily lives. Be close to our sisters and brothers who've experienced loss and all those who are hurting, and uphold them with your love and grace. In our worship together today, give us a wider perspective on life, and hearts of compassion and kindness for one another. And Lord, we now pray to you in one voice, as Christ taught the disciples to say, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.
2: The illuminating light of God is seen through the life of Jesus Christ, a reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. But we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. You beat me. I do, I brought squirrels with me. So
3: cute. I'm going
2: to, that. to you, they're probably alive, right? Yeah. It's so good to see you all this morning. How many of you have friends? Me. I bet all of you have friends. I brought two furry friends. I bet they would be best friends in the forest. Don't you think? Yes. Yeah. So how do you get to know your best friend or your friends at school? How do you get to know them? Yeah.
3: By meeting them.
2: You meet them. And then what do you do? You shake their hand. You say hi. You talk to them, right? Maybe you ask some questions. Or you can play with them. You play with them. Share your toys with each other. Yeah, these are ways that you can get to know them. When I met my best friend, I asked lots of questions. I wanted to know everything about them, to learn more about them, so that I could be the best friend that I could be. How do we get to know God?
3: By like praying, to him. praying
2: to God, yeah. How else? What about reading the Bible? Yes, there's lots in the Bible that can teach us about God. In fact, there's a whole there's like three verses that talk about how God came to men to to the men in the Bible, and, and God came in different ways. Like well, there was a whirlwind, and there was fire. Yeah, and then. And then Jesus' clothes started glowing all sparkly and bright. Yeah. Yeah. And And God came in fire to Moses. That's right. Yes, you're right. God can come to us in different ways. Yeah. God can speak to us as a small voice in the back of our head, like a whisper. Or God can be more blunt and out there. And it might be more obvious when God is speaking to us. But I bet... When we notice that God might be talking to us, God wants to get to know us better and wants us to get to know God better. So this week, I want you to be looking for where God might be speaking to you in your life and how you can get to know God better, okay? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for our friends and we thank you for you. Help us to get to know you better. Help us to listen for you in all of our daily lives. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Jesus glows with the light of God, and Peter, James, and John witness the transfiguration. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around they saw no one with them anymore but only Jesus As they were coming down the mountain he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the son of man had risen from the dead The gospel of the Lord
1: When my son was a kid, which was, uh, well, it was over 30 years ago, every Saturday morning when he'd be watching cartoons, in between the cartoons there would be a commercial. It seemed like the commercial was on about every five minutes. It was about, um, well, it was about these toys, these toys that could uh, shape shift in your hands, that a car could turn into a robot. Or uh, a truck could turn into a rocket. And uh, all of these names, like uh, Bumblebee or Optimus Prime or Autobots or Decepticons. And uh, then the, the commercial would would belt out the jingle. And it would go like this, Transformers, more than meets the eye. I can tell most of the people here don't get that. I think Joseph did, and his daddy did, yeah, daddy did. Uh, And my son did, back in the day. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that, um, or a nickel for every one of those things I bought for him, I think I would have financed the multi-million dollar franchise of the Transformers that's come to be. But the, the slogan, more than meets the eye, has a point. Because it seems that life and love and leadership always has more about it than meets the eye. It also comes from the heart. According to the Christian story, it comes from the heart of God. Life and love and light. It's more than meets the eye. Isn't that what MLK said? over 50 years ago, when Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in front of the Washington Mall, and he said, I have a dream that one day we will be judged not by the color of our skin, which meets the eye, but by the content of our character more than meets the eye. He had a dream that is still yet to be fulfilled. I think whatever spiritual maturity is, it's something about that. It's about the content of moral character, about the leadership that sees beyond the superficial. It seems to me there's plenty of both lacking in the leadership and the moral character of the world today, which seems to put a a burden but also opportunity on the shoulders of the church, that we are to offer moral courage. We are to offer loving leadership. For me, as I have uh, worked on the texts, that is the gift that they had to, to give me. Now, we call them transfiguration texts, as, as in Jesus is transfigured and glows like a light bulb on the mountain or Elijah in the Old Testament is transfigured in that the mortal becomes immortal even as the swing low sweet chariot comes to carry him home. Frankly, I don't know what to do with these transfiguration images. That doesn't fit me. But the other supporting actors in the story do fit me. As in Simon Peter as in Elisha, the young, uh, the young mentoree. I can relate to these two needy humans because they are my stand-in. Let me raise for you something that comes to me from each of these stories. From the Jesus story of transfiguration and the Simon Peter story of transformation, God transforms us by including our most human moments. Into God's holy story. Our most human moments. God calls into God's holy story. This transfiguration scripture is strange. It got bad reviews in the Wednesday Bible study group. I'll just let you know. Won't call any names. But uh, if scissors were, were on the table. They would have done a Jefferson on it. And just cut it out as did one of our presidents. It's an echo, though, the story of Jesus and the Mount of Transfiguration. As theologian John Spong would say, it has been midrashed as a verb, taken from this story of Moses in the Old Testament and re-outfitted and recycled for a new story in the New Testament. Uh, Jeff McConaughey, who is the high priest of most things unknown, uh, pointed out to me that the... Uh, where is he? Where would he go sit? <laughs> you were hiding in the middle of the choir, weren't you? I can, uh, but I, I called you out anyway. Uh, yeah, Jeff McConaughey says that the original uh, translation of this, as you saw, was written in the 1400s, then translated again in the 1800s and ever since. But perhaps the translators uh, lost their courage The title is not, O Wondrous Sight, it is, O Wondrous Type, T-Y-P-E, O Wondrous Type, O Vision Fair. The notion is that in the typology of the Bible, that as Mark is writing the scripture, he is moving forward this story and connecting that the God of Mark's church and of Jesus is the same God as was back there with Moses, Elijah, Elisha, and all of those uh, in the Old Testament. The same God, it's a notion of continuity. And so it is very similar. Moses goes up a mountain, so does Jesus go up a mountain. The mountain is covered by a cloud, Old Testament, covered by a cloud, New Testament. Here's a voice, Here's a voice, receives some words, receives some words. But it begins to, to differ as Moses comes down the mountain, his face glows. In the Jesus story, all of him glows, entirely glowing. Now, when, when the face of Moses glows, he comes back down the mountain and speaks to the, the tribes of Israel. And they can't look at his face. It is so bright. And so he has to cover his face as he speaks. Uh, if, if Kurt Thomas were here... Uh, and mention to him that I've called his name, that somebody would write a song of 12 tribes in a paper bag. But he's not here, so I won't mention that. He comes down, Old Testament, Jesus comes down, New Testament, and he glows in the dark. It is Mark telling of transfiguration, but there's more than meets the eye, saying that the same God is still at work. Well, the one I identify most in the story is not Jesus, with Jesus, it's with Simon Peter. He's the patron saint of the foot-in-mouth syndrome. For instance, he speaks here, and the text even says he, he didn't know what else to say. I mean, you ever done that? You ever spoken and go, I, that didn't make sense, I shouldn't have even mentioned that. I didn't, he didn't know what to say. But that's not an isolated case with Simon Peter. He, uh, he speaks one time to Jesus, reprimands Jesus. Turn, Jesus turns around and reprimands him. Get behind me, Satan, says he to Simon Peter. Another time, G- Peter says, I will never deny you. And then before the evening is out, three times. The gospel writer even says, brings us close enough there in the courtyard to taste the salt on Peter's face. As he weeps bitter tears. I can identify with this Simon Peter because he is so imperfect and his faux pas are greater than his faith. But here's the story God keeps on transforming him by not taking those human moments and leaving them out, but grafting them into God's holy story. We've read ahead, we've read about Easter where Peter is changed and then at Pentecost when the foot comes out of his mouth and he's standing firm on God's good news. The best Simon Peter story though is when he is in Joppa which is near Tel Aviv which is where Liz was less than a week ago. She walked with colleagues from Tel Aviv over to Joppa and it was there that Simon Peter has this vision of a sheep coming down from heaven God says, take and eat, and he says, well, no, it's not kosher. It's not what the tradition allows. And God says, you know, what I call clean, don't you call unclean? About that time, he gets called to go over to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, one that is excluded from the faith. Simon Peter walks in, says, I shouldn't even be here, but the Holy Spirit has led me here the Holy Spirit transforms everybody in the room and then they sit down to eat, which is always a theological event. And, and the outsider has suddenly become the acolyte, and Cornelius serves the ultimate insider, Simon Peter. I would say that Jesus may have been transfigured, but God was up to more than meets the eye. God was transforming Simon Peter, the fisherman, into a faithful person. Our most human moments get included in God's most holy story. In just a few days, it'll be Ash Wednesday. It's really one of, become one of my favorite days because it gets to admit how much I have fallen short. The New Year's resolutions haven't been kept. The palm branches of Easter, of Holy Week's praise from last year need to be recycled because, well, because you know. And they become dust for a new planting and a new beginning that will show up in Easter. God is the ultimate ecologist who brings fresh hope. That's the story of the transformation of Simon Peter. The other story we heard is about Elijah, this Old Testament prophet. What I hold up from that is that God transforms us even when we stand between the past and the future, in the in-between. Because that's exactly where Elisha, was as the sweet chariot comes and transfigures old Elijah taking him from mortality to immortality and then a person of legend he moves on but Elisha the sidekick stays behind Elisha Elijah is one of the superheroes in the Old Testament a prophet and he had this mantle like a the cape crusader Elisha is his sidekick, but Elijah had worked miracles, raised the dead, confronted the powers of this world that holds it hostage. He was the troubler, remember, who brought the news of Israel's sins. There's a lot of Jewish storytelling in this drama about old Elijah and Elisha, There are repeated phrases, once, twice, three times, where Elijah says to Elisha, you can't come with me. But Elisha says back to the mentor, yes, I'm coming with you. And then there's this company of the prophets, kind of this choir that kept following around. It's great Jewish storytelling, but eventually it gets to the punchline when the chariot comes by and Elijah goes up and... The rest, as they say, is history. But Elisha, the sidekick, is ready. He receives the mantle that falls upon him. The same mantle that when he was plowing oxen one day, that Elijah, the mentor, came and draped around his shoulders and said, leave the farm and come follow and be with me. That mantle falls. Elisha, the mentoree, takes it, rolls it up, kind of like Moses did, the staff strikes the Jordan River and it parts, just like it had done for Elijah. When the time was come, had come, Elisha was ready. The follower had been transformed into a leader, and it happened in the very fragile in-between. It's been no small week for our church, has it? we've had one of those in-between fragilities, right? We had a charter member die last week, and we buried Louise Davis a week ago today. She was one of the first charter members to join, and she was the last charter member to die. She was the Alpha and the Omega, and I think she would have been proud of that uh, of that moniker. She, like all of our charter members, left us with a legacy. It is the legacy of feisty spunk. It is the legacy of ambitious risk. For they took all of these things, the feisty spunk, ambitious risk, as they launched this enterprise and separated from the past, in a way, to create a new future. We have to have that DNA in us as we make bold choices for our day and time. We are not living five years after World War II anymore as they were when they began. We're living now in the fear of World War III. How do we be faithful now as they were faithful then? Let's take the story of Elijah and Elisha because I think it was their story. God is always up to more than meets the eye, transforming us even as the future feels frail. God is work even in our faux pas and when it feels like we're falling apart. All of these rather obscure and peculiar stories in the Bible reminded me of a story that was very familiar to me. Years ago, as my first pastorate, right out of seminary, I was pastoring in the country in uh, North Louisiana. And one of the patriarchs in the community had died. His name was Mr. Red Morgan. He was a tall drink of water, one of the patriarchs in the town who always was seen wearing cowboy boots. He was tall enough to begin with. And wise and sought out in counsel. He never came to church. But the whole community knew him as a wise man. His wife, Helen, came to church all the time. I would go by to visit them in their uh, enclosed carport that had been made so by this dark uh, wood paneling that the pine knots seemed to jump out of the wall. And we would visit And then the day came when a call came to my study that there was an ambulance beside the house. I went over, the paramedics were doing all they could, and Mr. Red Morgan died. I sat with the family there that afternoon, and it was three days before Christmas that year, two days before Christmas Eve. It was back in the time when there seemed to be less permission to move the calendar around when it came to funerals. There seemed to be a sequence of days you had to hit on the money. And now we have more leeway with that sort of thing. But it just seemed like the funeral had to be on a Christmas Eve or the Christmas Day. But the family said, no, I'm not going to do that. All the families in town need to spend time with your families. We'll gather here on December the 26th and we'll do the funeral. I led in it. All of the town came. After the funeral, I do what Baptist pastors do. I go over to the family's house to enjoy the funeral food. There was the green bean casserole. There must have been dozens of deviled eggs. And there was plenty of fried chicken enough to feed everybody. I sat in the same room there that I had visited with him and with her, so often. But on this day, I was there in the middle of the afternoon as the family started dispersing and the grandson, the only grandson, was still there. A few family members. He had to get back to LSU. He was midway in his journey. But he was sitting there in the rocking chair with his sock feet sticking out. Because right in front of his sock feet were the brand-new cowboy boots of his granddaddy. He just sat there in front of all of the family and of me. He was delaying leaving. And then finally the time came. He stands up, takes a breath, pulls up his blue jeans, pulls on one boot, pulls on the other boot, and someone in the family said what each of you are thinking They said to him, those sure are big shoes to fill. And then I said, yeah, but, but I think he'll grow into them. And then the grandson began to leave. Now maybe it was my imagination, but it sure seemed to me that that grandson of Mr. Red Morgan was at least a foot taller on his way out. I know, the heel on a cowboy boots, it's sizable, but it's not a foot taller. But he walked straighter, his head was higher, and he left differently than he had entered. Now, how do you explain that? You know how you explain that. In fact, just watch one another as we leave the worship service today. Wearing one boot of knowing that God will get us through even those times we fail. Knowing that God will get us through these fragile times in between. You just watch. We'll walk out taller than we've come. Amen. is our tradition that whenever a word is offered, an invitation to dedication is given. Today's hymn is about uh, a change of vision and eyesight that upon hearing of this call, the, these calling texts that we wear out the boots of a new way of seeing, maybe even that of our charter members who taught us that the way to love God more is to love our neighbor. That's a good calling. It requires good vision. Let's stand together and sing.
4: Whenever we gather, we have an opportunity to bring our concerns to each other and our celebrations and announcements. And I bring a few of those to you this morning. First things first. After the worship service, uh, families will gather in the fellowship hall. All are invited uh, to have willies, and of course, we have to have something to eat. And we'll be making Valentine's cards uh, for some of our members uh, in need. So make your way to the Fellowship Hall after the worship service for them. There will also be a uh, parents' small group at our home, uh, and the time has changed. It will be 4.30 to 6.30. For those who can make it, we'll be talking about preparing our families for Lent and the season of Lent. Speaking of Lent, uh, Lent is nigh upon us. It's on uh, February 14th, this Wednesday, Valentine's Day, and uh, Ash Wednesday will be the commencement of Lent. Uh, A couple of things to make you aware of. There is an insert in your worship guide that has the schedule for our Lenten services over the next six weeks. So you can see that um, coming up on Ash Wednesday, there will be imposition of ashes available. James and Keith and I will be taking turns in the chapel, imposing ashes for all those who come with a blessing and then there will be a service at 645. Just to note, there's a misprint in the schedule. It won't be, the service at 645 will be in the chapel, not the sanctuary, it'll be in the chapel. Our prayers are with all of those who are suffering uh, the loss of loved ones, people we expected to see who aren't here. They're with those who have their own private concerns that are too deep, to share with others. We pray that this could be a space where one day all voices could join together and share equally in grief and celebration. Our prayers are with you in your silence and in your grief and in your celebration. And let us continue our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings with a special treat by our handbill choir. Thank you. everlasting God you came to this world as a servant and called us to service give us wisdom and courage so that we can be servants and teach us how to use these gifts in service to you and to our neighbor in the name of the one who came to this world as a servant through Christ our Lord amen Now to the one who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than you can ever ask or imagine. To God be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church to all generations. Amen.